0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Big things are happening at Collective this fall, and we'd love for you to be a part of them. Join us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11 a.m. at 5103 Pegasus Court for church that doesn't feel like your typical church. We hope to see you there. Now let's get into Sunday's message. Just a few weeks ago, I got to officiate my 15th wedding. And one of the things I do for every couple that I marry is I send them a list of questions ahead of time for them to answer without... The help of their significant other. And then what I do is I I take these answers, I bring them into the ceremony, tell a little bit of their story. And and so I ask questions like, what was your first impression of them? Or how did you know? Like, what was the moment when you knew they were the one? Or what was the proposal like? And it's probably my favorite thing to do for weddings because I love reading the bride's answers and then comparing them to the groom's. You see where this is going? As you can guess, uh, with most weddings, the bride will write these beautiful, poetic paragraphs about the way the sun was shining. They'll tell me this is what the air smelled like that day. They even know like what foot they were kind of leaning a little bit more on at the end of the first date when they hugged the future groom. But then you look at the groom's answer, and he's like, "It was good." Now. Not all couples are that way, but it is the majority. Uh, and while there tends to be a pretty big difference in how they answer questions like, what was your first impression, or tell me about your first date, or, or you know, share about the proposal, there's one question I ask that almost always gets the same answer. I always ask, is there a famous couple that you would most compare yourselves to? And the answer I almost always get is no, and I went back, I looked at the past few sermons I officiated, or weddings that I officiated, to see like, what their answers were. And, and here were a few of them. Uh, the, one of the last weddings I did, the groom answered, I literally have no clue. And the bride answered, no clue. And I was like, well, you guys are meant to be together. <laughs> Going back a little bit further, I, someone said, not at all. Another one said, not really. And another one said, I have no idea. And when thinking about these answers, I originally thought like, they didn't answer it because they were just boring. right? These couples weren't fun now. There are couples that go to this church. It's not that you aren't fun, okay? You are very fun. It's really that we struggle to name famous couples that have a marriage worth admiring because here's what is true. Whether it's famous couples or fictional sitcom couples or historic couples or just couples in our own families, it's hard to find healthy, growing, life-giving, grace-filled marriages that we want ours to be like. And so here's what we're going to do today. Just like the past two weeks, we're going to be reading in the book of Ephesians in the New Testament of the Bible. And just as a reminder, this is a letter that was written by Paul to a church in Ephesus. And when you read this letter, one of the things that you realize is that this church had some family drama. And that's because Paul just keeps talking about Here's how to handle your parents. Here's how to handle interpersonal relationships. Here's how to handle these things. And so he spends a lot of time in the book of Ephesians addressing and helping them manage their dysfunctional families including their marriages. Now, I know that not everybody that goes to Collective is married, and I remember going to church as a teenager and the pastor talking about marriage, and I would sit there and think, this doesn't apply to me. Why am I here? And I remember in college going to church and the pastor talking about marriage, and I would sit there and think, this doesn't apply to me. Why am I here? And so I know that some of you are already thinking, this doesn't apply to me. Why am I here? Here is why you are here. It's because healthy marriages start before you say, I do. Healthy marriages start before you meet the one. Healthy marriages start when you are single because you set a foundation in your life and in how you view marriage that will eventually one day lead to healthy, growing, life-giving, grace-filled marriages. And so let me start by talking to those of you who are single, whether that's by choice or not by choice, whether you're a student and you're not even thinking about that yet, maybe you're single through divorce or loss, hear me out. Today is a day where you can get a head start that a lot of us didn't get. And so my challenge to you and my encouragement to you is do not take that for granted. And so if you are single, my my challenge is take notes, right? Take the things that we read to heart, start building or rebuilding The foundation for a healthy marriage right now. Because here's the thing, you will not regret it later. You you just won't. And really, whether you are married or not, you should take good notes for yourself. And the key key phrase there is for yourself. Because we cannot change our families, but we can change how we deal with them. And so as we talk about marriage today, remember that you cannot change your spouse. You are not responsible for changing your spouse. Some of you, your marriage is that. Like you were just constantly trying to change them, but that is not your responsibility. You are ridiculously in charge of one person, and that is you. And so get it out of your head. Today is not for them to hear. Right? Today is for you. Right? Today is for me. Today is for us. You got it? Okay, good. Here's the first thing to write down that Paul says a healthy marriage looks like. He says, a healthy marriage is we and not me. When Paul is talking to husbands and wives, he says this in Ephesians five twenty one. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In a healthy marriage, one person is not more important than the other. Some of you have tension in your marriage right now because there is an unbalance, right, all the time. Your marriage is one-sided. It revolves around one person. It's all about their schedule and their time and their feelings and their wants and desires and their growth or lack thereof. It's a marriage that's about me and not about we. But Paul says that marriage should have equal submission, right? equal serving, equal care. A healthy marriage is about we and not me. Now, there are times in healthy marriages where it's unbalanced, You go through seasons of imbalance. When your wife is pregnant, husbands, you should be out serving your wives and her needs should take precedent over yours. She's literally growing a human inside of her. So I think you can do more than 50% of the dishes. You can pick up and take care of the kids. You can serve more so that she can rest more. And that is okay. That's a good imbalance. My wife, Ray, and I are getting through a season of imbalance right now. Working to get the collective kids' space open last weekend meant long days, late nights for me here at the building for weeks. And so during that time, my work schedule dictated our family schedule. But now that the space is open, we're working our way back to being balanced again. There are times when your spouse is sick, when your spouse is in school, when your spouse starts a new career, and this will lead to imbalance, and that is okay. But if you are in a marriage where one person is always more important, where one person always takes the back seat, if the season of imbalance never goes away, it's not a season anymore, it's a culture. And that is a culture in your marriage that will lead to destruction. If your marriage is out of balance, a marriage that's out of balance leads to seeking out affection outside of a marriage. A marriage that's out of balance leads to resentment from one spouse. To another. A marriage that's out of balance leads to burnout. A marriage that's out of balance leads to one or both parents seeking out affirmation and purpose from their children. Some of you grew up in that house. Your parents had a marriage that was out of balance, and so they expected things from you as a child that they should not expect from you, and you're still working through that today. You are not more important than your spouse, and the opposite is true. Your spouse is not more important than you. A healthy marriage is about we and not me. Here's the second thing that Paul teaches us. A healthy marriage takes work. Uh, This is probably my biggest frustration with Hallmark movies, okay? I know some of you love them. Who's already watching them? It was like November 1st at midnight, and you turned on the Christmas movies. It's okay. I'm not going to make fun of you. You guys have learned that I've asked you to raise your hand. I'm probably going at you pretty hard. But this is my issue with Hallmark movies, right? Because every single one of them is a story about a big city lawyer, a writer, a baker, you know, a former athlete. They return to this small, humble town where they grew up at Christmas, and they go to inherit something or to stop some terrible organization, or to save the family business after dad passed away, or to collect the pieces of their life after a tragedy. Right? And they're all the same way. She magically falls in love with a sensitive guy in plaid whose dog rides shotgun. <laughs> never seen a Hallmark movie in my life. This is all I guess. Right? I haven't. I haven't. It's just that easy. Sorry. Right? And then he falls in love with the girl that he didn't notice in high school because she had glasses and then she got because she's totally different now. And at the end of the movie, everything's the same, like Christmas and the town and love is saved forever. But the thing they conveniently leave out is all the hard work that healthy marriages require. They leave out the first real fight when the insecurities from past toxic relations come out in full force on date night, and they have to figure out how to work through it because they can't just walk away this time, just like they've done in the past. They can't walk away because they made a commitment to each other, and they sealed that promise with rings. They leave out Saturday mornings with kids who come into the room at 6 a.m. because they want to watch Bluey and eat pancakes. And the dad somehow magically sleeps through it all. <laughs> he wakes up at 9 a.m. refreshed from a great night's sleep, and his wife looks at him with those eyes that say, I'm going to strangle you later. Right? And they've got to work, and they've got to have the hard conversation. What does it look like to have balance in their marriage? Right? They leave out the wife that's overbearing. They leave out the husband who is underwhelming in his effort. They leave out the addiction and the anger issues and all the therapy that you need to get through it all. And I understand why we love Hallmark movies. Like, our marriages are hard enough, and so we want to space out in this world where it always snows on Christmas and the coffee never gets left in the microwave and turns cold, right? We want that, but that isn't reality. Healthy marriages take work. And Paul goes on to tell us the work that we need to put into our marriage. He starts by talking to wives first. In Ephesians 5, he says this. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church, as the church submits to Christ. So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, let me just say this really quickly. And I'm gonna be honest, I hate that I even have to say this because it takes up words uh, in a sermon that could be spent on more fruitful things, but I know that I have to say something because anytime we talk about marriage or sex or any of those things, I have to battle this garbage that's being spewed on social media by people who didn't go to school to have a ministry degree that people don't lead in a church or honestly people who don't actually read their Bibles every single day. So hear this, okay? If you're getting your theology from TikTok, hear this. We laugh, but it's the reality right now. This is not saying that women are less than men, okay? This is not saying that women are less than men. This is not saying that women are to be slaves to their husbands. This is not saying that women don't have value. This is saying that husbands are called to be the leaders in their marriages and wives are called to support that. And so don't read more into this than what is healthy. Because the thing is, some of you are struggling with this tension right now. It has nothing to do with scripture. It has everything to do with the wounds that you have in your life right? Typically from your father, maybe from the church, right? It's those trust issues that you have that makes you read this in a way that makes it toxic. It's not. Because remember, right before we read this verse, Paul teaches that both husbands and wives should submit to one another, right? That doesn't cause tension in us. So, so why does this, right? Make sure you're reading this the right way. Because here's what this means. It means that God knew that there are going to be times when marriages hit difficult situations, times when a decision needs to be made and someone needs to lead. Someone needs to go first. Someone needs to be responsible. Someone needs to be there to handle the consequences. And so God in His wisdom in designing the family calls husbands to that role. Right? God in His wisdom has a design for the forgiveness of sins. God in His wisdom has a design for how we handle our money. God in His wisdom has a design for how we work and how we rest. He has a design for how we handle conflict. He has a design for how we handle trials. God in his wisdom also has a design for marriage. And so Paul is saying, women, let your husband lead. Pastor Bob Russell says it like this. In any relationship, someone has to take the first hit when a storm is coming. Women, let your husband take that hit. This means to trust him. It means to believe that he wants what's best for you. Just a few verses later, Paul switches that word from submit to respect to describe how wives should treat their husbands, because deep down inside, that's what men want, right? They might not admit it, but it's true. More than anything else, we wanna feel like we are capable. We wanna feel strong, we wanna feel good enough. We want your admiration, right? That's what submitting to your husband looks like. It's living in a way that you believe those things are true. It's encouraging him and supporting him as he takes the lead. Honestly, I think the best way I can describe this is being Goose to his Maverick. And I totally understand in the movie that Goose dies, so just ignore that part of the story. But like, if that plane goes down, it's on Maverick, not Goose. But Goose is in a role where he does everything he can to try to make sure that Maverick can lead them to accomplish their goals and come home safely. Like, that is what this looks like. And the thing is, it's not because he's perfect. Like, he's not. We know that, right, women? Can we get an amen to that? You can agree. Right? It's not because he knows best. He doesn't. In fact, he probably knows less than you. But it's not because he's perfect, right? God puts him into this role because of what he says next in verse 25. Paul says this, For husbands, this means to love your wives just as Christ loved the church, He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washing by the cleansing of God's words. Men, your job is to love your wife as Jesus loved the church. And how did Jesus love the church? He laid down his life for it. He valued it above his own life. Now, men... You probably aren't going to have to physically die for your wife at any point, okay? Uh, all men have this fantasy uh, giving, of giving up their lives for their family. This is a true thing. You can ask your husband about it later, they might lie. Uh, but this is the thing. When we're spacing out, we think of one of two things it's either catching the game winning Super Bowl or the touchdown, game winning touchdown in the Super Bowl or we're daydreaming about what would happen if someone broke into our house and tried to hurt our family, right? And it always starts with us, although we've never done martial arts before. We have all the skills in the world. Like, we're so good, it makes Chuck Norris blush, and we take out 10 masked men with power and precision. It always starts that way. But then it always ends with us realizing that we can't keep fighting evil forever because it's never going to stop. So what do we do? We convince them to take us right? Take me, don't take my family so that they can live. All men have some sort of hero fantasy like this. Every time they're laying in bed at night looking out a window, they're like, if guys came up this window right now, I would take them out. Like, this is a thing. But men, this isn't going to happen. I'm sorry to crush your dreams. You're also not going to catch the touchdown in the Super Bowl either, so you got to get some better dreams, right? And so what Paul is saying is that we need to die to ourselves, that we need to lay down our life for our wife, It means we put her needs over ours. It means we lay down our ego and our pride and we acknowledge that we have wounds that need to be healed. And so we go to therapy first. We don't wait until our wife sets the tone on that. It means we sacrifice our time so we can read our Bible so we can be the spiritual leader in our family. It means we put to death our insecurities and we choose a culture of vulnerability in our marriages where we set the tone about talking about how we are doing and how we are feeling and what we are struggling with. Man, it means to lead in a way that our wife finds safety and security so that she feels comfortable trusting us and following our lead. It means to treat her as uncommon. It means we value our wives over ourselves. One of the prayers we have prayed since before Collective started was that this would be a place where marriages get healed right? We've prayed for this in the beginning. We pray for this every single day, but it still breaks my heart every time I get an email or a text message or a phone call about a marriage that's falling apart. And when I sit down with couples because there's been an affair or because he's addicted to pornography or alcohol or his own ego, or we sit down because he's just apathetic, Right? He's not even trying anymore. And it crushes me listening to these wives whose hearts have been broken because they trusted their husbands to act like men, but instead they were little boys. And instead of dying to themselves, they put to death their marriage and their wife and their families. And so really here's what Paul is saying. Men, step up. Step up. We wouldn't have issues with the submission language in scripture if we actually led in our marriage the way that God called us to if we actually led in our families the way that God called us to, if we actually led in the church the way that God called us to, right? You're not gonna have someone put a gun to her head and say, you were her. That's not gonna happen. But you are going to encounter situation after situation where you're faced with a choice to do what you want or to serve her, to put her first. And it will be a choice to give up your life for her day in and day out. Will you do that? And husbands, this doesn't mean you're a doormat, right? And both sides, right? Like, we're not supposed to be taken advantage of in that way. And it doesn't mean your wife can walk all over you. You also have value. You also matter. If your whole relationship revolves around your wife and you're dying to every single one of her needs, you will burn out, right? You will fall apart, part, and so will your marriage, right? But remember, it's mutual. But you are called to love her the way that Christ loves the church, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this great quote. His niece was getting married, but he wasn't able to attend the wedding because he was in a Nazi prison camp for trying to assassinate Hitler. Like he's a dude, love it. And so he wrote the wedding sermon and he mailed it to her, and it had this line He said, Today you are young and very much in love. You think that your love will sustain your marriage, it won't. But your marriage can sustain your love. Your commitment and your promise to love one another in sickness and in health until death do you part is what sustains your marriage. Love is a feeling, marriage is a promise, and marriages take work, And so some of you have marriages that are fractured and on the brink of collapse, and so the question is, will you put in the work, right? It's hard work, but will you put in the work? Men, will you love your wives as Christ loved the church? Women, will you respect your husbands, in the same way you respect Christ. Will you do this and see what Jesus can do with your marriage? And listen, this still doesn't mean that your marriage is going to be perfect. You personally might do everything right and it still might fall apart. She might not respect you. He might not put you first. She might not admire you. He might not lead you. But remember, you cannot control them. You can only control yourself. Put in the work. Here's the last thing. I'm going to say about this because I'll keep soapboxing this and we need to move forward. Uh, You don't need to do this alone. If you need help working on your marriage, if you need help working through the cracks that you know are just getting wider and wider, we want to help you with that. That is why we pray that prayer, that God heals marriages in this church. And there are people who go to Collective who have been there, who have screwed up their marriages to the point where they should have no recovery in them at all. But through the grace of God and through the foundation of Scripture, they have worked to heal their marriages. There are marriages that are healthy and thriving in this church. And those people would love to do nothing more than to walk with you and your spouse as you work toward getting the marriage that God wants you to have. And so if you are in that place, do not do this alone. And here's what we want you to do. If you want that help, it's to write marriage on the bottom of your connection card. And we will follow up this week. Because there are people who are living where you are right now. They've been there and they want to help you through it. All right, here's the third takeaway. A healthy marriage comes first. Skipping ahead a few verses, Paul says this in verse 31. He says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is the biblical definition for marriage. One man and one woman joined together. They're united spiritually, they're united emotionally, they're united physically. They become one. And Paul isn't making this stuff up. This isn't like Paul's agenda for the church. He's quoting Genesis 2.24. He's following God's lead. When God gives Adam the gift of a wife, this is what it says. He's quoting Jesus in Matthew 19.5 when Jesus talks about marriage and divorce. Jesus actually doubles down on this in Matthew 19.6. He says this, Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And I think most of the time, like I'll use this at weddings, or most of the time we, we read this verse and we immediately think about affairs. right? What well, God has joined together, let no one split apart. And we think about someone stepping into another person's marriage or a person stepping out of their marriage and splitting it apart. And that, that is part of what this is. That's definitely what he's saying. But it's not the only part. right? I think what God and Jesus and Paul are saying is that no one, no one should get in between a husband and a wife. It's not just other men and other women. This means a father and a mother. This also means children. Your marriage comes first. Your marriage is more important than your relationship with your boss. It's more important than your friends. It's more important than your parents. And it is more important than your kids. Kids, your parents have a good marriage if they think that the other person is more important than you. You are not the center of that relationship. A few years ago, pastor and author Francis Chan put out a book called You and Me Forever, and it was like super controversial. And here's why. One of the main themes of the book is that your wife is more important than your kids and that your husband is more important than your kids. People got so upset about this. Specifically, Christian people got very upset about this. But this is biblical, A healthy marriage comes first. Your role as a husband or a wife is more important than your role as a father or a mother. This is not to say your kids aren't important. This is not to say you can mail it in as a parent. This is to say that God understands that a healthy marriage leads to a healthy family, that a healthy marriage leads to healthy kids. And so if you want to be a great parent, it starts with you being a great spouse. Some of you have family dysfunction because you value your parents' approval over your spouse's desire for boundaries, right? We talked about boundaries a few weeks ago, and you're struggling with this right now because you are more concerned with how they're going to feel than how your spouse is going to feel. Some of you have family dysfunction because you allow your parents to have too much of a say in how you live your life. Some of you have family dysfunction because your marriage has taken a backseat to your relationship to your parents. You have codependency issues. But the moment you get married, you are no longer tied to them because you are now united to your spouse. Your marriage should come first. The only relationship that is more important than your marriage is your relationship to Jesus. That's it. It's God first, marriage second, kids third. You don't even have to have a fourth if you don't want one. You don't want to have friends, don't have friends, okay? But in no way should they be in the top three on your list. God first, marriage second, kids third. Maybe throw some friends in there at some point. And then Paul finishes by saying this. He says, so again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. He sums it all up. A healthy marriage is we and not me. A healthy marriage takes work, and a healthy marriage comes first. Now, married people... You can take a deep breath for a second because I'm not going to talk to you right now. I'm going to talk to those of you who are single. Okay, if you're single, buckle up. Uh, Single people, let me ask you a question. Why do I have a higher vision for your love life than you do? Seriously. Why do I want something better for your future marriage than you do? I I think it's one of two reasons. One is because some of you don't follow Jesus. Ladies, single ladies, do not seek a man to give you what only God can give you. A man cannot give you peace. A man cannot give you purpose. A man will not reach into the deep parts of your soul to heal your insecurities. Do not treat a man like he is the end all be all because if you do, when you fight or when you break up, your world will fall apart because you have pinned all of your hopes on him. Do not worry about having plans on Friday. Be concerned instead about what happens 10 years into your marriage when things go wrong and you are not rooted in Christ. And listen, I I know... Some of you do not have a dad in your life or you had a horrible father growing up. And so what you're doing is you are seeking a man to fill that void. But the person who wants to fill the void in your life is your heavenly father. He will never abuse you. He will not take advantage of you. He will not talk down to you. He will not forsake you or leave you. He is the one who will give you security. He's the one who can set you free. He is the one who will tell you that you are perfectly loved and accepted and you don't have to sleep around to find that. Men, single men, the same is true for you. Do not seek a woman to give you what only God can give you. A woman cannot give you value. A woman cannot give you the love and support that you long for deep down in your soul that your father did not give you. A woman cannot fill the voids in your life. They can't. So stop seeking out love and attention and self-worth in women and seek out the love of a Savior who looks at you and sees you as worthy who looks at you and sees you as more than a conqueror, who looks at you as his son who he loves. Right? And so if you are single and you are tired of these broken relationships, the relationships that leave you wanting, the ones that always fall short of what you're looking for, stop looking for those relationships to fill the parts of your life that only Jesus can fill. Right? This is why we talk about baptism and putting your faith in Jesus all the time. Because when Jesus isn't at the base, the foundation of who we are, it doesn't matter what part of our life it is, we try to fill that void in our life with other things, right? And so there are people here that think that they can fill that void with somebody else. They can't. Only Jesus can do that. That's true if you're married as well. If you are married and you're trying to fill the void in your life with your husband or your wife, it will only lead to destruction, and so you start by putting Jesus first. You watch how he changes how you view yourself, how you view your relationships, how you view marriage. Another reason I believe uh, that single people are, are settling in their relationships is that they have faith, but they don't actually think that they're worth it, right? You don't. Single women, it's no mistake that this passage says that the man is to be like Christ. He will influence you that much. He will. And I know that you think that a great and godly guy is like a unicorn, and you'll never find one, but they do exist. There's not a lot of them, okay? I'm just being honest with you, but they do exist. And so if you are single, here's what you do. You run after Jesus, and as you are running, you look around, and you see who's running next to you, and then you keep running. And as you're running, you look to your left, and you look to your right, and you see who's still running with you, and you say to them, hey, do you want to run together for a little while? And you see where that leads. Ladies, if he is not running toward Jesus, here's my advice for you. You break up with him today. And I'm being serious. I'm not, he's not walking, not jogging. I'm saying running. I don't care if you're dating, engaged, or days away from the altar. If you are running toward Jesus and he isn't right beside you, you text him right now and you break up with him. You can give him my email address, Michael at mycollective.church. Send the complaints to me, because you know what I'll do? Delete it. Don't care. <laughs> don't care. Because here's the thing, some of you are settling, right? And I know you're settling because you're sitting here alone and he's at home playing video games or resting up after a long week. I know that some of you are settling because you are taking next steps in your faith, or at least you're trying to, and he can't even show up. And so I want to tell you, just in case nobody else has, you are worth holding out for someone great. You are worth pursuing, you are a child of God, you are his daughter, your heavenly father loves you. He wants you to have a great husband, He doesn't want you to have a good marriage. He wants you to have a great marriage. Don't settle. Single men, this is different for you. Step up. The reason why women settle is because our men are not reaching their potential. So men, step up and start running after Jesus. Set the tone. Start reading your Bible. Start serving. Start giving. Start making your faith a priority. Stop expecting women to settle for you, instead become the man that she prays for and asks God for. Men, stop being the anchor in your relationships and lead. Stop trying to benefit uh, from being married or stop trying to get the benefit of being married without the commitment and put a ring on it. My goodness, men, step up. Stop making your decisions based on how she looks and start making decisions based on whether or not she loves Jesus. God wants you to have a great wife. He doesn't want you to have a good marriage. He wants you to have a great marriage. Don't settle. All right, single people, you can take a deep breath. Here's the thing, though. So I said this during first service, and you, know, you don't get a response, and it's fine. And after service, there was person after person after person who's been married for a long time who said, this is what I wish I heard 30 years ago. And so I get it. It's hard. And this idea of maybe breaking up with somebody because they don't love Jesus, like that's going to hurt your heart and you might feel lonely for a little bit. But here's what I'll say. There are marriages that are in this space right now. There are people who've struggled with divorce. They've been through hard things. Who will say, that's what I needed to do 30 years ago, right? So do that now. So 10 years from now, you're not sending the emails going, "I, I didn't see this coming because you did. Because you are here and he is not. Or you are here and she is not, right? Set the foundation now. Here's the last thing. This is my final takeaway for today as we close things out. A healthy marriage is covered in grace. Pastor John Piper says that the apex of the glory of God is grace. Pastor Scott Nichols says that the apex of a great marriage is marked by grace. And when we read this, what does Paul compare a healthy marriage to? He compares it to Christ's relationship with the church, he compares it to his relationship with us. And what do we need more than anything else that Jesus can offer? We need his grace. And so remember, marriage is like following Jesus. Jesus gave up his life to show that he loves you. He doesn't kick you to the curb when you mess up, when you struggle to trust, when you struggle to serve, when you are your most unlovable. He picks you up and he gives you a second chance. And he continues to show you grace. And in your marriage, there will be times when you want to hold a grudge. There will be times when you get angry. There will be times when you want to bring up that past mistake that still hurts you. But if you follow Jesus, you are commanded to show grace. It's not an option. It's not a choice. You are commanded to show grace. And so, wives, your husbands need grace, right? Your husband is not Jesus. He needs a second chance. He's going to need another second chance and another second chance. Husbands, your wife needs grace. She's going to need a second chance and another second chance and another second chance. Because the thing is, there is no such thing as a healthy, growing, life-giving marriage without grace. Grace is the reason our marriages can have hope when they feel hopeless. Grace is what picks up our marriages when we have let them down. Grace is what heals the bitterness and the pain that we bring into our marriages from past relationships that we need to work on and heal now. Grace is what gives us the courage in our marriage to fight for something better. Grace is what gives us the humility to submit to one another. Grace is what gives us a chance to grow and become who God calls us to be in our marriages because great, life-giving, healthy marriages are marked by grace. And that grace only comes from one place. It comes from Jesus and his example to us and how he loves us. And that is what we bring into our relationships. Let's pray. God, one of the things about marriage that we, we know, we just fully understand this, is that unhealthy marriages hit us so hard. And God, sometimes it's, it's the unhealth of our parents. God, it's that they had marriages that are broken, or God, they had marriages that um, didn't thrive, they just kind of existed. And we feel the weight of that in our own lives right now. We feel the wounds of that unhealthy marriage in our life right now. But God, it's not just something we receive, it's something that we experience, it's something that we give. And and as we get married or as we have kids, we feel the weight of that relationship. So God, as we read these words, God, we know and we understand that the way that you design this brings a better thing, brings a healthier thing, brings a grace-filled marriage. And so God, um, I pray that's what we long for. And so God, for people who are are married and they have thriving marriages right now, they they, they would say, that man, it's healthy, it's life-giving, it's everything I want it to be. Jesus is at the center of it. God, I pray that these people love and encourage other people whose marriages are struggling. God, that they realize that they, they hit this point, they hit this peak, and they don't just say, hey, we made it, let's move on. But they realize that what they've been through, they can help other people get through. God, I, I pray for the marriages that are struggling today, uh, for the people that are sitting next to each other knowing this is about us. God, this is us. God, I, I pray that they leave today... Um, and they read this again, and they wrestle with this again, they begin to, to put into their life and into their marriage what you called it to be. God, I pray for um, the people that are here right now uh, and their spouse isn't. God, I, I think that's the hardest marriage to be in. Um, God, when, when one is trying to grow in their faith and the other is not interested. Um, God, we pray that, uh, that they have patience and they have peace. God, we pray that the spouse that's not here gets that wake-up call that they need to realize um, there's something more and I'm anchoring this marriage, and I should be leading it in the right way. God, I pray for people here that hope and pray and long to be married one day, that this is a foundation for them. And God, I pray for people here that don't think marriage is in their future, God, that they realize that today is kind of a recentering for them, where they begin to realize that maybe the marriages around them weren't healthy, and that's why they have some of the pain that they have. God, we know marriages are so important. God, help us lead into them, lean into them, submit into them the way that you called us to. And ultimately, God, uh, the thing that we are most thankful for in all that, because we're gonna screw this up and we're gonna go up and down, is that there's grace. God, that you tell us to love one another the way that you love the church. God, we don't deserve that, but we're so thankful for that. God, I pray that we bring that into our marriages and our relationships as well. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.